The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. And coming up, we're going to preview this week's game between the Eagles and the Giants. Attempt number three for the Philadelphia Eagles to lock up the number one seed in the NFC, get that first round by and home field advantage throughout the NFC playoffs. Joining me to talk about that in just a couple of minutes is my good buddy Ed Valentine from SB Nation's Giants site, Big Blue View. We're going to break down the game, a game that we don't think will feature many of the Giants starters, especially at quarterback, running back, the the main guys. Uh, we're not expecting to see them a whole lot. A 14-point line for this game right now. Eagles are two touchdown favorites, uh, which tells you, I think, all you need to know about who Vegas expects to be playing in this game, both for the Giants and for the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll get into the latest on Jalen Hurts in just a couple of minutes. I had some thoughts on Jonathan Gannon and the defense that I wanted to share uh, in a couple of minutes as well. And I'll have the latest on DeMar Hamlin. Some incredible news coming down here on Friday morning, as well as uh, the NFL's proposed solution to the muddled mess in the AFC with the cancellation of last Monday night's game between uh, the Bengals and the Bills. And um, some of the conversation that that they were talking about as possible solutions could have had a huge impact on the Eagles but thankfully it doesn't look like that is what's going to happen. So we'll tackle all of that here on this edition of Eye on the Enemy. And you know what? Let's start off with talking about DeMar Hamlin because just some incredible news coming down here on Friday morning uh, reported that DeMar Hamlin had the breathing tube taken out and that he actually was able to FaceTime his Buffalo Bills teammates in their team meeting. He had apparently FaceTimed some players individually and then FaceTimed the entire team on Friday morning. It was reportedly, obviously, a very short uh, conversation. He he can't say much right now, but uh, what an incredible piece of news. You know, Nick, we were hearing everything on Thursday that his cognitive function was good. He was able to write down questions. He asked doctors if his team won the game last Monday night. And here we have him now already able to talk to his teammates and uh, t- tell them that he's doing okay. So um, what a remarkable story over these last five days, how DeMar Hamlin has captured the, the, the nation's attention and, and and what a remarkable recovery he is undergoing in a Cincinnati hospital right now. And you can't say enough about the work that the first responders did. Uh, that uh, I think what they're going to do on, on Sunday in Buffalo is 
honor those first responders and the medical staff by introducing them before the game uh, for really having saved Demar Hamlin's life. It, what a remarkable, what a remarkable thing uh, that we're having happen here. Uh, and uh, you know, they canceled the game on Monday night, which is absolutely the right thing. They they should have done that. And thankfully, this is I think going to give the Buffalo Bills and their team uh, enough confidence to be able to go out there and be able to focus on football, knowing that their teammate is going to be okay. I mean, we, we, we can't predict the future. We're not, none of us are, are, at least I'm not a medical professional. I'm not a doctor. Neither are any of the NFL reporters um, who, who are relaying all of this information, but certainly all indications are that this young man is making a tremendous recovery. And my guess is that that message from DeMar Hamlin is going to give them some peace of mind as they get ready to hop on the field on Sunday to take on the Patriots in their week 18 game. Now, as a result of the cancellation of the Monday night game, the NFL is trying to come up with a solution for the AFC playoff picture because that game between the Bills and the Bengals obviously had huge playoff ramifications. Now, the good thing is that canceling that game, which the NFL officially did on Thursday, has no implications as far as someone making the playoffs. It has everything to do with seeding and home field advantage and and division and all that kind of stuff. But because it didn't result in anybody making the playoffs or not making the playoffs, the game didn't have to be replayed. So that took the need to actually squeeze this game in out of the picture. If they had to replay this game, then things get very, very sticky. You have to I think wipe out the week between the championship games and the Super Bowl so that you can play that Bengals uh Bills game in in what would be a week 19 whereas the rest of the le- and the rest of the and you'd probably have the the NFC wild card round play and then you'd have the entire NFC off the following week so the AFC wild card as a round could play and then you'd have divisional championship Super Bowl. That would have been a nightmare would have created a whole lot of uh, inefficiencies uh, would have been uh, une- you know inequalities for for all the different teams involved. So what the NFL has decided, aside from the Bills Bengals game officially being canceled, that means the Bills and Bengals will have played one less game than the rest of the AFC playoffs uh, playoff participants, and that's important because while it, it doesn't prevent one team from making the playoffs, it, it the Bills controlled their own destiny for the number one seed in the playoffs going into that game. However. Because that game wasn't played, now the Chiefs control their own destiny because they will have because of uh, of the way the the records are working out and strength of schedule and record against conference opponents and all that tiebreakers. So the Bengals also controlled their own destiny for a potential number two seed. Um, and if they had uh, beaten the Bills in that game. So a lot was riding on the line there. So the owners are voting on Friday and I'm recording this before the owners vote on a scenario that would change the AFC playoffs a little bit. Uh, 24 owners have to have to approve it. Um, what it looks like is going to happen is that the AFC championship game would be played at a neutral site under one of the following three scenarios. Scenario one, Buffalo and Kansas City both win or tie, or Buffalo and Kansas City both lose. If Buffalo and can if if this Sunday... Buffalo and Kansas City both do the same thing, whether it's win or lose, if, if they have the same result, then a potential Buffalo versus Kansas City AFC championship game would be played at a neutral site. So if one of those two things doesn't happen, like if, if Buffalo wins and Kansas City loses, or if Kansas City wins and Buffalo loses, 
then the winner, whether it's Buffalo or Kansas City, is the number one seed. So if Buffalo wins this weekend, Kansas City loses, Buffalo's the one seed, there's no neutral site AFC championship game. If Kansas City wins and Buffalo loses, Kansas City's the number one seed, there's no neutral site, the rest of the AFC playoff picture is as normal, uh, for the most part. Um, but if Buffalo and Kansas City both win or lose or tie, then if those two teams were to match up in an AFC championship game, and only if those two teams were to match up in an AFC championship game, would that game be played at a neutral site? Those are the first two scenarios. There is a third scenario, and that is if Buffalo and Kansas City both lose and Cincinnati beats the Ravens, then a Buffalo or Cincinnati versus Kansas City AFC championship game would be at a neutral site. So again, if Buffalo and Kansas City both lose, Cincinnati can move up into the number one seed conversation. And then you wouldn't be able, again, because Cincinnati would have one fewer game played, you wouldn't be able to, de- to truly determine who the one seed is there. So if Buffalo and Kansas City both lose and Cincinnati wins, Buffalo or Cincinnati versus Kansas City in an AFC championship game would be played at a neutral site. And they're talking about a couple of different sites. Now, um, there is also a coin flip situation that's going to happen here uh, with regards to Baltimore and Cincinnati. If the Ravens beat the Bengals in Week 18, and I don't think that's going to happen because Baltimore is playing their backup quarterback, but if Baltimore defeats Cincinnati in Week 18, Baltimore will have won both games against the Bengals. They will have swept their divisional opponents, but they would still trail the Bengals in the AF, in the division because Baltimore will have had a higher winning percentage for a 16-game schedule than Baltimore for a 17-game schedule. So if Baltimore defeats the Cincinnati and these two clubs are scheduled to play, then, and, and so, okay, let me back up. If Baltimore beats Cincinnati and it just so happens that those two teams would then play each other again in the wild card round the following week, the site for that game would be determined by a coin toss. If Cincinnati wins the Week 18 game, or if Baltimore and Cincinnati don't play each other in the wild card round, then the game sites would all be as normal. Does everybody got that? <laughs> it's, it's convoluted. All right? We'll just have to see how it all shakes out, okay? But either way, you could be looking at a neutral site AFC championship game. As an Eagles fan, The most important thing is that they are not expanding the playoffs, which was a possibility that was being discussed earlier in the week. I think it was on Wednesday I saw this being reported that the league could potentially add an eighth team, a third wildcard team to each conference, which would have eliminated the first round by for the number one seed. That was to try and make it fair for Kansas City or Buffalo because that game that got canceled did have number one seed ramifications. Of course, adding that eighth team, leveling out the playing field, making it so that no team in the AFC had a first-round bye, would have meant that no team in the NFC would have had a first-round bye because you couldn't, you basically couldn't have an NFC number one seed have a free week off, but no number one seed in the AFC have that week off. So if you were going to make it so that no number one seed had a week off on the AFC side, you would have had to do the same on the NFC, and the Eagles would have had to play in the wild card round against the whoever the eight seed would be. And that right now would be the, the Seahawks, I guess. Or No, that would, the Seahawks are in the seven seed would be the Lions or the Packers. But there's a lot that's happening in the NFC playoff picture right now in Week 18 that, is, that makes the, the number seven seed still up in the air. Regardless, no need to dive into that 
with, 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 you know, we can get neck deep in all of that nonsense because they decided not to go that route. And listen, because of what happened with Damar Hamlin, if the, if it had to, if it had to come down to that, I know there's a lot of you listening that would have been mad about that, upset about that. That's a situation where you just basically chalk it up and you say, stuff happens. It's life. A young kid's life hung in the balance. Thankfully, he's going to be okay. If there was some blowback on that, if there was some collateral damage and the Eagles happened to lose that advantage this season, I think you just have to, you know, we would all have had to have been grownups about it, right? I'm sure that's 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 right up our alley, right? To be grownups about things when they don't affect us. Um, I mean, when they, when they, when they affect us negatively and, and deal with it. Uh, but it doesn't look like, uh, Eagles, the Eagles are going to have to, to do that. It would have been a competitive disadvantage to them more than any other team. Uh, and it doesn't look like uh, the NFL is heading down that road, but, uh, still a lot to shake out here as far as the playoff picture is concerned. Well, suddenly this game in week 18 is a game that's way more important for the Eagles than their opponent here, uh, the New York Giants. And when these two teams last played, I can't imagine that anybody thought this is this is the scenario we would be looking at, that the Giants would be able to rest starters if they chose to ahead of their upcoming playoff game. And uh, the Eagles would be forced to play their starters because they still had something left to play for. But here we are as the Eagles and Giants get ready to take on um the task of uh, getting their 2022 season finished on a uh, uh, late Sunday afternoon and joining me to break it all down is Ed Valentine. Of course, our good friend from big blue view, the SB nation Giants site. Um, he joined us a couple of weeks ago as we previewed game. Number one, he's here to join uh, preview game. Number two as well. Ed, welcome back to eye on the enemy, buddy. How are you? I'm good, John, as always. Thanks for having me. It's always, uh, always fun to talk to you, especially under these circumstances where, where it's the giants who, uh, who can sort of chill on Sunday and and where it's the the Eagles who uh, who have to play for something and Eagles fans who who are a little nervous about how things will go. Yeah, it's annoying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. It's annoying that the, the Eagles couldn't get this done against Dallas or or especially New Orleans last week, but here we are still with a chance to get the number 1 seed and the Giants are of course locked into where they are as the number 6 seed and and first of all just um what a what a season the Giants have been able to have. I, I thought that they were dead and buried after the way they lost to the Eagles a few weeks ago. And, and they haven't played perfect football, but they're two and one since that point. And I'm I'm really surprised, actually, that it was them who ended up making the playoffs out of the NFC East and not the commanders. I thought the way things were trending a month ago, that it was the commanders who were going to be the, the team. If there was only going to be one additional team uh, other than the Cowboys and Eagles. And uh, so here the giants are, man, they're getting ready for a playoff spot. And I, I, it's just, I think there are so many mirrors to what the giants did this year to what the Eagles did last year, new coach, um, you know, you get a new system in place, a, a breath of fresh air, and you surprise everybody by by making the postseason. So, um, you know, Giants fans have to be thinking that um, that they're just on kind of cloud nine right now, having been able to, to to make this happen, right? Well, absolutely. And the way that I put it, uh, I had uh, I had Brandon Lee Gouton on my show the other day, and uh-huh. uh, the way that I have put it is that the Giants are playing with house money at this point. They're playing with house money on Sunday. They're playing with house money in the playoffs. Nobody saw this coming. Obviously, the Giants started 6-1, and one, which nobody saw coming, and and then sort of came back to earth for a while. They're, they're not a perfect football team. They're, they're not a perfect roster. 
but this is a wonderful coaching staff. It's a, it's a quarterback. It's a team with a quarterback who's better than people thought that he was. And, and this, you know, for Giants fans, this has been just a, a fantastic season. And from what I can see, it points for me, it points to a better future. People ask me all the time if it's sustainable with the Giants, if if Brian Dable won't, won't turn out to be Ben McAdoo, who got fired in his second year after making the playoffs in his first year. And I don't think so. I think I think what Dable and Joe Shane are building here is a solid foundation that they can go forward with. So so good year all around for the Giants and, and their fans, no matter what happens from here on out. Normally in a game like this, Ed, we do the X's and O's. I'd ask you about Daniel Jones and how the Eagles are going to stop Saquon Barkley and what kind of scheme the, the Giants are going to run against uh, the Eagles offense defense, from a defensive standpoint. But, you know, the Giants have nothing left to play for here. So the big question that everybody's asking, and as the week has gone along, it, it seems as though uh, we're getting the answer to this question. And it seems as though the 14-point spread that Vegas has put out is answering this question as well. Is Do you think the Giants will play their starters? If so, how much do you think they'll play, if at all? Oh, Brian Dable has been really evasive about that all week. But look, Daniel Jones takes a fair amount of hits when he plays because he's, although he's gotten better at protecting himself, He's still perfectly willing to put his body on the line. I mean, he responded to a late hit by Indianapolis offensive linebacker Bobby Okarecki the other day by throwing a shoulder into Okarecki the first chance he got, you know, the next time he carried yeah. the ball. Um, he's completely unafraid to put his body on the line to get a first down or or uh, pick up a touchdown or, or whatever. He's And... Saquon Barkley has touched the ball, I think, more than any back in the league so far this year, played 85% of the snaps. It makes no sense for the Giants to get those guys hit on Sunday. There are some other players on the defensive side of the ball, Dexter Lawrence, who's played you know, an, an amazing amount of snaps this year, makes no sense for them to put more wear and tear on him and a couple of other players as well. Obviously you've got a 53 man roster with no more than you elevate a couple practice squad guys. You've got no more than 48 players. So some of the starters have to play, but I think in the end, although Dable won't say it out loud yet, I don't think you're going to see much of Jones, much of Barkley, much of Dexter Lawrence, Julian Love, Leonard Williams, maybe a couple of other guys, if you see them at all. Well, and, and here's the other thing, too, and I've said this earlier this week. I agree with you 100%, obviously. If the roles are reversed, I certainly wouldn't expect the Eagles to be playing their starters, and they didn't uh, You know, last year when, or, or it was two years ago, I think, when they were, um, I forget who it is they were playing. Maybe it was the, was it the Cowboys or the Commanders uh, when the, the Giants had a chance. Oh, it was two years ago when, when the when the uh, Commanders got in uh, with a with a sub-500 record, and you know, the Eagles didn't play anybody in their last game, and the, the Commanders were able to uh, were able to overcome and beat the Eagles. and. Uh, the and it denied the Giants a playoff spot. The infamous it, Nate Sudfeld game. The Nate Sudfeld game. What a and, what a rotten game. And huh? Giants Giants fans, <laughs> I've had uh, people in my Twitter timeline all week. 
Giants fans still remember that. They're still angry oh, about sure. that. They still want revenge for that. And, and they want the Giants, some of them want the Giants to go all out to win on Sunday. Because but that's of not that. Brian Dayball's fight, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, it's not Brian Dayball's fight. <laughs> it's it's pointless. Brian Dayball said the other day, you know, stuff that happened years ago has nothing to do with anything. What what the situation is with the Eagles or the Cowboys or other teams' playoff seedings has nothing to do with anything. Their responsibility is to do what's best for the New York Giants. And when push comes to shove, I think, as I said, you know, putting putting more tread on the tires of a guy like Barkley and a guy like Daniel Jones and, and, and Dexter Lawrence, it's just pointless. Yeah, if if I think Brian Dayball is the 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 odds on favorite to win coach of the year, if he plays his starters, if he the, you know the, the the prime guys that that you the, the names that you have that you have mentioned here, he he should be immediately disqualified from re- receiving coach of the year votes. I, there's there's no justification. And not only that, not only is it about keeping your players healthy, who's to say these two teams might not match up in the playoffs a third time. Why would you want to show your hand here with any kind of with any kind of scheming um, offensively or defensively against against Jalen Hurts? I mean, you learned some lessons the first time you played them. The Eagles in the first two uh, when they played the Cowboys and the Commanders um, won those first games and then lost the second of those games as, as those teams made adjustments. The Giants can sit here and say, okay, we learned something from the first time we played. I still think the Eagles are a more talented team. They would certainly be favored if they matched up if everybody was healthy. But, you know, the Giants can sit here and and, and keep secret everything they've learned from that first meeting for a potential matchup in the playoffs should it come to that. Because there's no... There, so it's not just about even keeping the players healthy. It's about... Not giving away your hand, not not letting the Eagles know if you picked up on anything in this final game of the season. Absolutely. I mean, the Giants have said this week, oh, we're preparing for the Eagles, our attention's on the Eagles. But you know that in the background, they're doing a lot of work on the Vikings, who they've also yeah. played. And they're doing a lot of work on the 49ers because it's going to be one of those two teams that they play in the first in the first round of the playoffs. And you know darn well that they're not going to show any new wrinkles on on Sunday. They're not going to tip their hand. They're not going to show the Vikings or the 49ers or the Eagles or anyone right. anything new. So it's going to be a straightforward game plan, probably with a lot of Tyrod Taylor. I mean, the, the, the running joke around uh, Giants media this week and I, I will, I will proudly say that that I mentioned this in a podcast earlier this week. The running joke is that what we're going to see on Sunday is a Davis Webb to Kenny Galladay touchdown pass. Now, mind <laughs> you, mind you, Davis Webb has never thrown a pass in the NFL in six or seven years, and Kenny Galladay doesn't have a touchdown catch in two years with the Giants. Why not? So why so, not? So, Let it so, happen. <laughs> so so that's what we're going to see on Sunday. It might be forty to seven Eagles. I was going to say it gonna, might be the only seven points they get, but I'm, it might I'm fine be with 40 that. Forty to seven Eagles, but we're <laughs> going to get a Davis Webb to Kenny Galladay touchdown pass. Yeah, so I mean, I I can't imagine that the Eagles would uh, would have an issue here um, with, with the Giants with with all these giant stars. That being said, Tyrod Taylor. Um, 
you know, when he first came into the league as a, as a, as a quarterback for the bills, he was a guy who kind of ran around a little bit, but um, he's been in the league a long time now. How is he as a backup? What should, what should Eagles defenders be, be looking at in terms of Tyrod Taylor's game here? Well, he's still going to run around a lot. I mean, the one game that he did get to play in the couple, actually the couple times that he has gotten to play this year so far in uh, very limited snaps, he's, he's done a whole lot of running around and got himself concussed one time running around. But uh, but I, I would also suspect that if John Feliciano, who's nursing a back injury, the Giants starting center doesn't play, and if they limit snaps for Andrew Thomas, their, their stud left tackle, I would suspect that Tyrod Taylor is going to be doing a lot of running for his life. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, Tyrod Taylor is – pretty much what you want in a backup quarterback. He understands the role. He's an adequate player. He can get the ball where it needs to go. He can make some plays with his feet. He's, I think what we've, you know, what's been proven over the years is he's just not that guy that you want to go into week one and say, you know, he's the guy that we're going to try to build a playoff team around. He's a guy that you, that you want couple games here and there, a couple games that, you know, to, to help you try to win a game here and there, try to stay afloat if your starter gets hurt. But uh, yeah, he'll, he'll be fine. The guy that he's going to be replacing, the starting quarterback, Daniel Jones, it sure sounds like he has cemented himself as this team's starting quarterback moving forward. Um, even if that's the case, do you still see them pursuing a young quarterback in, in, in some way here as, as, as the season ends? And what's your, well, before we get to that question, what is your confidence level in Daniel Jones uh, in, in the playoffs now that you've seen him have his best season as a regular season starter right now? Well, look, I don't see any reason not to have confidence in Jones the way that he's played so far this year. Now, he's never going to morph into Patrick Mahomes. He's never going to morph into the prime of their careers, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. He's not going to be that guy. But what he's done all year is he's played efficient football. He's He's been very smart in the pocket. He hasn't put the ball in danger very often. His turnovers are way, way down. I think he's the... Uh, I think he's he's got the best interception percentage in the league. It's like 1.2%, something like that, of his passes that have been intercepted, which is best in the league. He's been very efficient. He shows toughness. He shows leadership. He makes plays with his legs. They love him in that locker room. They love him in that organization. And the, the, the question with Daniel Jones is what's it going to cost? What's it going to cost yeah. to keep him? Because we all know that that quarterbacks all make more money than they should make. They get more credit. Yeah. They make more money than they should make. And I would I would hope that the Giants can come to an agreement with Jones that's maybe three years that maybe they could get out of after two years if things if things sort of go south like they have in Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill. But you know, but we'll see. But I think it's I think it's going to cost the Giants more to keep Jones than it than anyone ever thought that it would when the season started. 
Well, but that's the product of having a good season and getting your team into the playoffs. And I think most folks would be would be happy about that. But it it, it does put the Giants in a little bit of a tricky spot because ideally you would like to have a that that star quarterback, that true franchise quarterback. If you have to sign somebody uh, to a long term contract, not somebody you kind of feel pretty good about, you know. But I mean, it's 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 well, it's not. And there's still there's I I hear you, John. There's still the argument to be made that that the Giants offensive line is a work in progress because Evan Neal, rookie right tackles, had a rough year. They still need some upgrades on the interior of the offensive line. They have they have used a bunch of guys who you would consider to be journeyman type wide receivers. And you know, guys like Isaiah Hodgins and Richie James have had good years. And to me, a lot of that is Brian Dable and Mike Kafka figuring out exactly how these guys, how they can succeed with these guys. And and to me, a lot of that is, yes, the wide receivers have played well, but a lot of that is schematic as well. So you can still argue that the talent around Daniel Jones needs to be upgraded. I don't know what his ceiling is as a, as a passer. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, it's what, what you see from Josh Allen and what you see from Patrick Mahomes. And and there may be a ceiling where he's a good, but not great quarterback. But I think that, I think that you can win a lot of football games. Can you win a Super Bowl? Maybe in the right circumstance, if you get the, if you get the right team around a guy, but you had asked earlier, do I think the giants will continue to, uh, to look for a young quarterback I wouldn't have a problem if they did. I think I think I might have a problem if they went and used a first round draft pick on one. Okay. But, but I think that that if you find a guy and and you don't know you, and we know that that these kinds of guys rarely hit. But if you have a guy in the 3rd or 4th round or whatever and you really like the skill set and you want to see if you can develop it, you know, go right ahead. I, I well, and you're looking. Yeah, you're no looking at a guy who that. you're looking at a guy who developed Josh Allen, right? right? I mean, turn that guy around. So, you know, you you can do that if you have a good coaching staff in place. And I think I think one of the things that's hard for the Giants right now is they've been so much more successful than so many people thought they would be this year, and the fan base is excited in New York, New Jersey everyone's fired up because it's been five years of misery for the Giants. You know, they haven't won a playoff game now since the 2011 season, haven't made the playoffs since 2016. It would be very hard at this point to sell. Well, we're going to draft a young guy and we're going to let Tyrod Taylor play quarterback next year. And we're going to take a step back while we develop the young quarterback. That would be a really hard sell. I think at yeah. this point for for yep. a fan base that's now fired up and finally feels good about the future. So so in that sense it's a bit of a conundrum, but Jones has Jones has earned you know, he's not he hasn't earned Patrick Mahomes money. He hasn't earned, you know, a $250 million guaranteed contract. Mm-hmm. But if you can get him to sign a 3-year deal where where you can maybe get out of that deal after two years if things go south, where you can continue to build the roster. And then if you have to make a decision in a couple of years where you think you've reached the ceiling with Daniel Jones, then you do that. Yep. 
All right, so uh, Sunday afternoon, Eagles and Giants. It certainly appears as though the Giants are going to rest their starters. Uh, the line is 14 points. Um, how do you see this thing? I'm going to ask the question. It's fairly obvious, but, you know, the way the Eagles have played these last couple of weeks, you know, I don't I don't know that they can just go out there and expect to win, and I think that's one of the issues they've had the last couple of weeks, especially last week against New Orleans. I think they took that team for granted, um, and, and the Saints came in there, and they were better than their record indicated, especially on defense. And so uh, we're expecting Jalen Hurts to be back out there. The Eagles obviously need this game. The Giants expected to rest their starters. How do you see this one shaking out? Oh, I think the Eagles win this game, John. I think that uh... – that the point for the Giants, they can't, they can't move up in the playoff seedings. They can't move down in the playoff seedings. They're number six, no matter what happens. The Eagles are the team that needs this game. the The spread is fourteen points, like you indicated, and that that would be insulting for the Giants. Except, as we've talked about, they're probably not going to play a bunch of their guys, so. I, I think the Eagles win this game. Who knows? Maybe the Giants with their backups, maybe the Giants play better than than I think they're going to play. But but ultimately, Jalen Hurts will be playing on Sunday for the Eagles, most likely. Uh, and and I, I see this game as, as an Eagles victory. All right. Well, listen, folks, make sure you're reading Ed's work over at Big Blue View. That's the SB Nation Giants site. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, we'll all be talking about uh, and we'll be able to exhale uh, after this game on Sunday afternoon. But well, of course, I, I uh, do the- just I do just have to say, John, you know, yeah, we are enjoying your angst. <laughs> I'm sure you are. I, I have no doubt we would be enjoying yours if the roles were reversed. So I totally accept that. And, uh, you know, I listen, we got to win this game on, on Sunday afternoon. And um, I'm happy the Giants seem to be uh, listening to reason here, Ed. But uh, <laughs> make sure that uh, you're reading everything over at Big Blue View for the latest on what the Giants are going to be doing. Ed, thanks for joining me on Eye on the Enemy again. I appreciate it, buddy. Always. All right, we're going to step away, take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to talk about some thoughts that I have on Jonathan Gannon and the defense. And I'll give you my prediction on the other side of that as well. We'll do that coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. And we're back on Eye on the Enemy. And before we wrap up, I did want to just take a couple of minutes to talk about Jonathan Gannon and the confounding nature of Jonathan Gannon and and the and fans' perspective of him and my perspective of him. Because I got to tell you, I watch this defense play, and sometimes I'm overwhelmed by how dominant they can look, and then other times you just you watch decent quarterbacks kind of pick them apart, like we saw Dak Prescott do with with Dallas, like we saw Andy Dalton do in the first half uh, for New Orleans. And Jonathan Gannon's defense kind of infuriates you at times, and I think Gannon himself kind of infuriates. He doesn't seem like a bad guy. He seems like he's a smart guy, but, you know, I, he, he, I don't – I watch this defense play – and I'm I have a negative a negative feeling about the the defense and and most, more than more than feeling negative negatively about the defense I feel negatively about the defensive coordinator himself and I don't really know why that is why do I feel so negative or unsure about Jonathan Gannon is it is it residual from last year maybe it is maybe it's residual from last year but when I think of Jonathan Gannon, I think about that Seinfeld bit. Remember where Jerry Seinfeld is dating a woman who appears to be very attractive in the right light and then unattractive when the light is, is not so good? It's kind of what Jonathan Gannon feels like to me. If you look at the overall numbers, Gannon looks pretty good in that light. 
His defense appears to be one of the best in the NFL, which would, of course, lead you to believe that he's one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL, right? If you've got a great defense, you would imagine that the defensive coordinator is doing a good job. And when you look at these numbers, there's a lot of good. You look at defensive EPA rankings, the Eagles drop back EPA significantly better than anyone else in the league, 48% better than second place. While their rush EPA has improved to 14th, the, the running game, the defense against the running game has improved tremendously since Linval Joseph was added to this team. In terms of yards allowed per game, at 302.6 yards per game allowed, the Eagles defense is the best in the NFL. Okay, no team, no defense in the NFL gives up fewer yards per game than the Philadelphia Eagles. Jonathan Gannon's defense. They have the number one pass defense in terms of yards allowed. They're 18th in rushing yards allowed, but they have they have improved dramatically on that score and held some really good running backs down these last few weeks. Their defensive line is turning in one of the finest seasons in NFL history with a team-best 68 sacks. That is 16 more sacks than the next closest team, the Patriots. For the first time ever, the defense has four players with more than 10 sacks each. And with one game left, the margin between the Eagles in sacks per attempt and second place, the Cowboys, is the largest since sacks became an official statistic in 1982. And, and, and what we're saying here is that the Eagles make more of their opportunities in terms of getting sacks than any and than any other team in the NFL. And the gap between the Eagles and the team behind them is the largest since we knew since we started keeping track of sacks. They need just five more to set the all-time record for sacks in a season. Now they will have done it in one more game, but still, they've piled up sacks at a record clip. Their 17 interceptions are tied for second most in the NFL. And their 82.0 quarterback rating allowed is Third lowest in the NFL. We hear all this stuff about Jonathan Gannon's soft defense. NFL quarterbacks have an 82 rating against them. Only two teams have done better. They're allowing a 63.4% completion percentage. That's middle of the pack in the NFL. But remember last year when quarterbacks were throwing for 80 to 85% completion percentage against them. We're not seeing that this year to, to the degree we did last year. And last week against the Saints, they shut out New Orleans. They allowed only 13 points and shut them out in the second half. You read all those numbers and you would think, my goodness, the Eagles cannot lose Jonathan Gannon to another team this year as a head coach. They've got to figure out a way to keep him as their defensive coordinator. But then you look at some of the, then you look at Jonathan Gannon in a not so good light. They're middle of the pack on third down percentage allowed, 39.2%. That's 17th in the NFL. They have a hard time getting off the field on third down. They allowed the Saints to march up and down the field on them early in Sunday's loss. Andy Dalton, of all people, tore them apart in the first half. Just the, 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 the Bengals got some, some uh, I mean, not the, the Saints got some, some wimpy play calling, fourth down calling, goal line decisions. I mean, one of those first-half field goals, the, the the Saints scored. I don't keep saying the Bengals. I don't know why. The Saints scored probably could have been, they could have gone for a touchdown on one of those drives. They just didn't have any confidence in, in their offense at that point. But it set a really bad tone. And we remember the Cowboys going up and down the field on them. I will say that if you look at this year's numbers, the argument that Jonathan Gannon has not stopped a good quarterback this year doesn't hold up. Uh, Kirk Cousins in week two. I, I know a lot of you out there don't think Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback, but 
I, I think he is a good quarterback. He's certainly one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL with the state of quarterbacking, one of the better quarterbacks in the NFC. If you're looking in the NFC playoff picture and you're ranking the quarterbacks, is I mean, as I'm just kind of doing a rough math in my head, I guess, you know, depends on what you think of Aaron Rodgers right now. Who would you rather have start for you in a playoff game, Aaron Rodgers or Kirk Cousins? I'm probably leaning toward Rodgers, but Rodgers in the playoffs is no great shakes. As we remember over these last few years, he'll win you. He'll win you a divisional round game, maybe, but after that, you're not getting you're not getting very far with with Aaron Rodgers. They might win you a playoff game or two. And I, Kirk Cousins, I don't know has that ability. Although I love I love Cousins, uh, uh, the stuff the the Justin Jefferson and the players that he has around them. I might take the Vikings over the Packers if I'm if I'm taking an offense in general right now, which means I'm probably taking Kirk Cousins over Aaron Rodgers. Um, so I think I think Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback, and they shut him down in week two. They shut down Kyler Murray when they played the Cardinals. He had an 80.5 rating that day. Honestly, they kind of shut down Aaron Rodgers. They picked him off twice. He went 11 of 16 for 140 yards before he left the game with an injury. He had a 95.8 passer rating. Not they didn't they didn't destroy him, but what was killing the Eagles that day was the running game, not necessarily Aaron Rodgers. Dak Prescott is really the only good quarterback the Eagles have faced this year who had an objectively good game against them with a 124.3 rating. Now, does do I am I confident that Jonathan Gannon can dial up a defense that's going to confuse and scare a really good quarterback into a bad game? I, I I don't I don't I don't, and that's but that's part of where the where I'm confused about Jonathan Gannon is maybe I should have more confidence in this defense being able to do things, and a lot of the arguments to be made that the success of the defense this year is due to the talent they've brought in is a good one. I get it. That it's not Gannon's scheme, which is very risk-averse. There's not a lot of creativity to it. It just it doesn't look like he's doing much. It looks like Howie Roseman went out there, got a bunch of really good players, assembled kind of an all-star team for, for the defense, and Jonathan Gannon just kind of plugs him in there. I mean, I know we, he gets ripped for that zone thing a lot where Dak Prescott destroyed them in zones. And, and the fact is that... The Eagles' defensive schemes are complicated. It's not just a, sim- a, a simple thing of saying, yeah, we're playing cover two. Yeah, we're playing man-to-man. And those are the only two defenses you run. There's a lot of mixed coverages. There's a lot of half-and-halves. There's a lot of things that are changing. Uh, and I, I think, you know, Jonathan Gannon is not alone in being a defensive coordinator who wants to focus on confusion and changing things up. Now, he's had some really terrible moments. Third and 30 against Dallas is not the time to be trying to fool anybody. You play your sticks defense, and you deal, and and you let your defensive line try and get home and eat, right? I mean that the, he's had some he's had some brain fart moments, but you know what? Shane Steichen in the offense has had brain fart moments this year, and we don't we don't saddle them with the same kinds of criticism that we do Jonathan Gannon. So this is not. I don't want people to think I'm def, I'm I'm a, issuing a full throated defense of Jonathan Gannon because I'm not. I'm not sure how I feel about him. I am not enamored with his passive approach to defense. But it's kind of hard to argue with the results right now. Now, again, we'll see in the playoffs whether or not this stuff works. And I'm not so sure it's not the players who are doing the real work here and not Jonathan Gannon. I'm not sure that he's doing anything special, to be honest. But maybe there is a little bit more than meets the eye. I think we're about to get a real good test in the playoffs of Jonathan Gannon's abilities. And what we will see from him against Dak Prescott the third time around what we will see from him against Aaron Rodgers if he has to play them again. Uh, What we will see from him uh, in terms of Kirk Cousins, getting a second look at Kirk Cousins, getting a second look at the Lions again. Right? The Lions are good as an offense. Being able to shut down that passing game. 
We'll we'll see. You know what? We'll we'll see. I'm not that worried if they have to play the Giants. I'm not that worried about them shutting down Brock Purdy necessarily. But you know, Brock Purdy's played well. Can he shut down Brock Purdy and the Niners' passing game? You worry more about the Niners' the running game than the passing game. But who knows? So we're gonna get a real good sense of Jonathan Gannon. I I think it's too. I think it's too soon to say exactly what we have in him at the moment, but I'm not enamored with him by any stretch of the imagination, but you look at the numbers and they are what they are. And I guess the question you come down to in terms of Gannon and this defense is, is it the players? Is it the defensive coordinator? If it's a combination, how much is it of each combination? And I, I probably lean 70, 30 players or Gannon in terms of responsibility for the success of this defense right now. All right, it's time It's time to make a prediction for this Sunday afternoon, and I agree with Ed. I mean, if the Eagles cannot find a way to beat the Giants' backups, even even without Jalen Hurts in there, uh, it, it, they, they have no business uh, being the number one seed. Uh, but I do think Jalen Hurts is going to play. I think he should play. I think they need to treat this game um, like it's a big game. And I really do believe that once we see Jalen Hurts out there fixing a lot of the problems that existed on this team over the last couple of weeks. We're going to feel a whole lot better about things, even if it is against mostly Giants backups. And uh, as I'm recording this, Brian Dayball is talking to the media and essentially confirming that a lot of these starters are not going to play. Leonard Williams is not going to play. Aziz Ojolari is not going to play. One would imagine uh, Daniel Jones won't play. Saquon won't play. So uh, certainly it's trending in that direction. And and by the time you hear this, that'll probably all be confirmed. But uh, the Eagles should win this game. I, I think this will be... Um, a relatively easy win with Jalen out there. And maybe they can run up a, a big enough score so that you can take him out after a few quarters um, like they like they were able to do earlier in the season a couple of times. And I, I think this will be uh, a fun game for Eagles fans to watch. I'm going to say Eagles 30, Giants 10 in this one. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks to Ed Valentine once again for joining me on the podcast. Don't forget to check out BleedingGreenNation.com each and every day for the latest for the latest Eagles news, notes, and rumors. And we got a lot of podcasts here on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed, so make sure you check them all out at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you get your pods. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy. 